Hey tennis fans and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis joined alongside Mike McIntyre. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada and members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network and Mike I was excited uh, to chat with the guests that I've been trying to get a hold of for like a month and a half. We've had all this back and forth and uh, finally got Prakash Amritaj on, on this week's episode. So that was uh, quite exciting for me. I feel like you and Prakash have almost had like an on-again, off-again relationship. And uh, <laughs> yes. just because of the number of times where it was supposed to happen and then for one reason or another, it got uh, bumped and pushed back. And uh, so I'm really happy for us, but I'm happy for you too, personally, that uh, you were able to uh, connect with him and and get that done and uh, an interesting character and tennis personality to speak with, I guess. Yeah, a fascinating one. I think people forget that he actually had a relatively substantial uh, pro career. He played 10 years on the ATP tour, which is, you know, a, a fair length of time and finally was undone by shoulder injuries, uh, which he does touch on in the interview that was in his late 20s, but also his his father as well, Vijay Amritaj, very, very accomplished uh, former singles tennis player, uh, of course, from India, 16 career titles, Wimbledon quarterfinals appearances, you know, um, highly accomplished player. So great tennis family, of course. And now Prakash, we find his face on Tennis Channel uh, frequently, which is great. And also sorts of interviews he's well connected with players like Serena and Venus for example and uh, for those who have seen him physically he is quite the specimen as he is into all types of fitness training as he does live in LA around Hollywood and that's kind of another side gig and career of his actor and producer and uh, he gets into why uh, he was so keen to kind of change and transform his body um I will say this is the first and only interview I've ever held where the subject was actually on the treadmill during the interview. So. He's very intense. I don't know when this guy sleeps. I don't know if Prakash ever sleeps because he seems to be doing so many things. And yep. uh, as good a shape as, as you're in, Ben, uh, he just takes it to like <laughs> 10 levels above even. Because, oh, God. Uh, Blows me out of the water. Not even it's, close. It's unbelievable. I went through his Instagram and I was kind of like just shocked at, uh, at how ripped this guy is. And... Uh, there's no point. My The dumbbells are going to stay underneath my bed because there's no point in me <laughs> even bringing them out. I could never even come close. But uh, Prakash is a guy who's, who's all over the place. Like last summer at the Rogers Cup, I'd be at all sorts of matches, center court, outside courts, and I'd be taking pictures. And later I'd be going through them and I'm like, oh, there's Prakash in the background or there he is courtside. And he was all over the place. And, and I find when I'm at a tennis tournament, there's a few people that, that rival me in terms of how much you know, coverage I like to uh, make all around the grounds and, and he was just everywhere. So uh, obviously a guy who loves tennis that can't be said enough. And uh, uh, without uh, waiting any longer here, why don't we throw to your interview with uh, Prakash Amritrash. Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada and pleased to be joined this week by a tennis presenter from Tennis Channel, also a columnist for GQ India, actor and producer, fitness enthusiast and former ATP Pro Tour player Prakash Amritaj. Prakash, thanks so much uh, for, for taking the time with me. I know you and I have been playing like I'll call it Instagram DM tag. Like we've been we've been going back and forth for a while. We finally found a time, so I'm thrilled to have you on. Oh man, my pleasure. Thank you. I've enjoyed your work. Pleasure to be on. I apologize. I'm on the move as we do it, but uh, I find myself on the move a lot these days. But uh, excited to be here. 
No, well, uh, I'm thrilled to chat. Uh, I, I guess just for starters, um, you, you know, we, we've all been off from, from tour life, from tennis life. Uh, just curious how things really changed for you since the Indian Wells cancellation and the tour being hiatus. What, what have the last few months really looked like for, for you uh, in your work life? You know what? It's, every week it's been evolving. You know, in, in the beginning, I mean, last year, you know, I was on the road all the time. I covered so many awesome events for Tennis Channel. It was a blast. But at times when I'd come home, I was like, oh, man, I'm so glad to be home. So when this thing first happened, none of us, of course, knew the severity of it. So I was kind of like, you know, it would be nice to have a little bit of time at home. But let me tell you, I am so antsy to get back on a plane, get to some of these events, be up and close, seeing, you know, the best guys and girls in the sport play. But you know, as far as work, I've been taking it one day at a time. Tennis Channel has been amazing in still creating a lot of new content out there. It's given people like me, especially someone like me who has a storytelling background from the acting and the film side to be able to, you know, dig into some fun stuff. You know, we've gone into the greatest of all time. We've gone into great storylines. So it's, it's kind of been a little bit refreshing, but I know we're all like just dying to see some live tennis. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, no, that's a good point. I think the past few months, like without tennis, we've we've been more looking like big picture, looking back at some great players' careers. That's what we've been doing, doing here on the podcast, at least uh, with a few of our interviews and going a little more long form. Um, and and I'd love to do it, do that with you because for you, you know, you're you're a former player yourself, and then transitioned into the broadcasting career as well. Um, how, I guess, how big of a part of your life was tennis growing up? And uh, I'll mention your father in a second, but uh, when did you first pick up a racket and, and how did that really evolve into eventually a, a pro career? Oh, man, man. Tennis was, tennis was everything, you know. Um, speaking for myself, it wasn't one of those things which, you know, I played a lot of sports and tennis was the one I was best at. So I thought it was my best chance for a pro career. So I went down that route. For me, gosh, it was, it was the love of the game, you know? Like the sweetest feeling in the world was waiting until that clock hit three o'clock at school so I could just come and I dreamt of that, you know, that smooth chip backhand off a second serve and fly in to make that crisp volley. This was, you know, back when people used to do that. <laughs> but it, 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 was, it, it was an art. You know, the joy that I got from the game is why I really played it. And a lot of credit to my father, who obviously was a big name in the sport. He, I, I saw a lot of tennis parents push their kids into the sport, and it kind of, you know, it, it drove them away from the game a little bit. And my father was amazing in not pushing me into it, kind of letting me make my own decision. And that resulted in me developing my own real love for the game. That's good. And I, I think uh, you bring up a good point. Whereas uh, if you do have a parent who is too pushy, too forceful in that sense, you, you can, I, I guess, maybe build an athlete who kind of resents the game, doesn't love the sport at all. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that about your father. For listeners who don't know, Prakash's father, Vijay Amritaj, had a terrific career as well. Some Wimbledon quarterfinals, some, some titles in there. Um, memories for you in, in your career, um, you know, because you did get to that high ATP level. Do you have any, I guess, standout wins, looking back, standout tournaments that you're maybe most proud of? 
gosh, the memories that really stand out. Um, had a really cool win over Marat Safin. I mean, I don't want to necessarily call it a full win. We were at the LA tournament over here, which was, that was it, man. Growing up in LA, that LA Open at UCLA, Pete, Andre, everybody played. And that was just the event that you wanted to be at. And I had just led USC to a national championship. Um, I was MVP in the finals, won a few deciding matches. So I got a wild card that year for the LA Open. I drew Murat Safin first round. This was, you know, when he was balling out, playing really well. And I think I took the first set. Everyone I knew was in the crowd, just super pumped up. And then I think early in the second or something, he hurt his wrist. So he had to pull out. And I remember just being so bummed out. But it was just a memorable match because you're playing, you know, world number one, Grand Slam champion in your, at your home court, you know. So that was, that was pretty special. Won't forget that. Um, and then a couple of Davis Cup matches stick out for me. Um, we had a great win over Japan one year. Go Soweda, Nishikori. I came back from two sets to love down there. A couple match points down. That was pretty special. Um, but, you know, growing up, it was really about playing Davis Cup and playing Wimbledon. And I got to achieve both of those dreams. And uh, kind of nothing like it. Really special. And now that uh, I guess, you, you know, you've moved off that, that pro tour life, but uh, I kind of found it funny early on in this conversation. You said you actually missed the travel, um, the ATP tour grind. <laughs> That's, you know, the ATP tour grind is nonstop travel for you, but uh, is it yeah. maybe a little, little lighter or easier now being on the outside of the sport as a presenter and, and in broadcasting? You know, it's different because uh, I'm still, I'm chasing a bunch of different goals and dreams that I have now, obviously life changes, right? So, you know, I'm heavily involved in film on the acting and producing side. And then of course there's the broadcasting and you mentioned what I do with GQ India. So there's some, you know, motivational speaking, writing and stuff in there as well. I feel like everything I'm doing right now, which I've been so fortunate to be given the opportunity to do kind of complements each other. So, you know, whenever, I'm doing one, it kind of, it helps feed the other. You know, I mean, even when I'm on the road, being able to, you know, bring to light a lot of the great stories from these amazing athletes that we're so fortunate to see, that in turn feeds me to be able to do the other stuff I'm doing. If I'm doing stuff in film on the storytelling side, I'm able to maybe take some of that and put it into the sports broadcasting side and the interviewing side. So it all kind of feels, pretty complimentary right now and the good news is it doesn't feel like work like I'm just I'm loving it and just truly enjoying it that's that's great and uh I I want to touch on on fitness because uh for our listeners uh who will be listening to this they they might not realize you are moving on a treadmill it appears as we're having this conversation (laughs) which is uh which is fantastic. And I, I think a lot, a lot of people, when they think of a tennis athlete and they think former tennis athlete, they would probably assume that person would be at the peak of their physical fitness and training during their career. Um, it, it was kind of the, the opposite move for you. So I know you, you had an issue with your shoulder and that, that seemed to motivate like a, a complete transformation in your body. What, what pushed you to, to end up in kind of the muscle building fitness realm post tennis career? 
you know, it was a couple of things. I was a little unlucky with some injuries on tour. I had a left wrist surgery, that kind of full right shoulder surgery you mentioned. That was a torn labrum, torn rotator cuff, two bone spurs they had to shave down. But for me, it's a couple of things. One, you know, it, it, it goes in part of what I want to do on the acting side. You know, all the stuff that I'm chasing over here, a lot of it is kind of changing the stereotype for people of my background. You know, the way Indians have been portrayed on film, TV, uh, it's, it's been very stereotypical. And it's been great that stuff has been changing. You know, you're getting to see Indians live in normal light. You know, we're not just a poo from The Simpsons anymore right. and so forth. You know, not just a you know, computer programmer. Now you're getting to see a lot more different aspects to it. And you've never really seen someone, you know, sort of with the physique that I grew up, you know, admiring in the 80s, 90s. Um, you know, some of the great, you know, action stars. Uh, I mean, look, I grew up on, you know, Will Smith and Bad Boys, you know, Independence Day, uh, you know, even Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible, uh, Schwarzenegger, True Lies. And you just haven't seen someone of my background while still American in those kind of categories. So I think physical attributes are a part of that. So that's, I guess, part of why I train so hard. And on the other side, when you train for whatever, six, eight hours a day as an athlete, and you go into the business world or whatever else, you can't just shut it off. You know, you kind of need something to sink yourself into. So weightlifting is not something that I could do when I was playing. So kind of a different art form that's still allowed me to train those same principles. You know, I mean, think about it. When you're in the gym, say you're lifting a 15-pound weight. Your body tells you you can only do it eight times. You physically cannot do it the ninth time. You keep trying. Week two, week three, all of a sudden, you do lift it the ninth time. Week four, you lift it 12 times. Now you have physically trained your mind to believe that something that was once impossible is now possible. So for me, it's about training those kind of habits mentally because I feel like that translates into everything in life. So yeah, it's it's a little bit of all that. This kind of gets me in the right mindset. No, that's that's great, and obviously it takes uh, I think an extraordinary amount of discipline that that people uh, want to feed off and they want that inspiration and kind of have to realize. Uh, I'm sure you know for the amount of time you've been training that that it is a marathon and not a sprint. This is not something that's you know a quick like 15 days to get the washboard abs. It's it's something that you really have to commit to. Um, I'm curious for you during your pro career and maybe now on the sidelines watching tennis, how much you think fitness has actually changed in the sport itself? Because uh, watching, watching now, I, I feel like this is the, the height of tennis in terms of physically fit players. Uh, ben, you, you, you hit it on the head, man. I mean, when I first came on the tour, I played my first U.S. Open in 2002, and things were widely different. You know, and, and I know how things were in my dad's time in the 70s, 80s. So I know how things have evolved from then. Started to get a little bit more serious, but there was a lot less focus on the physical in their time. In my time, definitely started to be a thing. Towards close to the latter 2000s, it, it started to be a huge focus. Now, every single person out there is 
as professional and focused as you can be. If, if you're not giving 110% to every aspect of the game, uh, you, you're, one, you're absolutely losing out. You know, I mean, I knew guys who definitely wouldn't take their physical as seriously as people do now, but they were still having great careers. I just don't think it's possible to do that, especially with the way the game has changed. You know, now you can't really get away with just great ball striking because everyone strikes the ball well, especially with the technology today. You have to be able to really last out the points, work the court. Even in a three-set match, you need to be fit. These are not short points we're playing anymore. Yeah. Um, no, I've, I, I've noticed that. I, I think especially ATP, WTA side, it feels like even just within the top 200, every player is so physically strong and, and there are no easy matches whatsoever. I'm curious what you're maybe expecting when we do get back for tennis. I, you know, we're, we're all excited for it. And the ATP and WTA have their calendars, at least for you. What's What's your schedule uh, with Tennis Channel when we are back? And are there a certain crop of players you're expecting will have maybe an advantage after, after this block of time off? You know, it's, it's so unfortunate when this, when this pandemic happened. Of course, there's so many other larger problems in the world right now, aside from sport. But if we're just looking in a vacuum right now and focusing on sport, I'm so bummed out because I feel like this next generation who I think is so exciting. I mean, you got, you know, Shapovalov, Zverev, uh, Felix, who is just one of my favorites. I know he's <laughs> big down there in yep. Canada too. All these kids believe, you know, so hard. I think for a while it was just, oh, Roger, Rafa, Novak, you know, we can't touch them. Everyone else is playing for that next level, mm-hmm. you know. So I got to throw Andy in there as well. Murray, everyone else is playing for the next level. Right. These kids are out there you know what, we can beat these guys. So I had actually said, I think in the next six slams, I thought we were going to see a brand new, fresh face Grand Slam winner. Yeah. So that's what I was really looking forward to. Now, it's a tough call. I mean, I think the lack of rhythm that everyone is going to have, it may hurt the younger guys a little bit more. Right. And it may favor the older guys. Because look, the older guys get to rest their body now. You know? I mean, Fed, as far as tennis is concerned, let's, let's forget the macro picture here of the world. I mean, he kind of scripted out great. You know, he's gotten a chance to retool the body a little bit, yep. go under the knife, even minor, really rest up the body. And he can take off 11 months and come back guns blazing, as we saw when he came back and won that Australian Open. Yep. I feel like the young kids, they need to be playing matches, you know, all day long. They've seen some great initiatives from... UTR to the ultimate tennis showdown Mm. to what's going on in Berlin and stuff now world team tennis so at least there's some play going on but man I think it's a little bit of a crapshoot it's gonna be be exciting to see what happens We're we're gonna see some upsets I'll tell you that yeah, yeah. No, I, I find it I find it funny actually during this stretch that we see guys like on the men's side team and CT Pass, they just want to play nonstop. You can't get them off a tennis court and Rafa Rafa feels like he's at home in, in Mallorca with his feet up, just just relaxing. So <laughs> he's probably working on that golf swing, which is yeah. pretty good pretty good from what I hear. No, exactly. Uh, well, Canadian fans will be thrilled that you named Felix and Dennis because uh, we... Oh, man, love those two guys. Yeah, yeah. We think uh, they have a, a terrific future themselves. And, uh, let, me, and let, me not, let me not forget Bianca. Thank she you. may be one of my most 
favorite to watch players of all time. Guys, girls, it don't matter. She is, man, she's a blast. Every part of the court attacks. And I got to chat with her last year in Toronto when she, when she won the event. And she just, she loves the taste of a fight in her mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, when things get tough, she was bandaged up, this and that. She just got tougher. I cannot tell you how much I love that, admire that. I'm inspired by that. More more boys and girls need that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've been inspired by Bianca and her resilience on the court. Like so much, so yeah. much toughness at, at such a young age. I, I'm curious. I, I know you have uh, somewhat of a relationship with Serena Williams uh, and know her personally. And uh, for her... It's, it's still this huge quest to, to tie and perhaps break Margaret Court's record. Uh, there seems to be a lot of motivation there when we've spoken to her coach, Patrick Moradoglu. Have you caught up with her at all in the last few months? And, and where do you think maybe she's at mentally, physically, um, and maybe capable of, of a run to get that next slam? I mean, look, we've, you know, we've been in touch. I don't know if I chatted with Venus, actually, yeah. um, a bit more. They're all, they're all aching to play. Yeah, You know, they want to get back out there. Even the statement that Serena made publicly, she is raring to go, you know, at the Open. She had posted an adorable picture of her and Olympia the other day as doubles partners. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, for me, I think you've got to look at it like there are no asterisks in, the, in this life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's what's up on the scoreboard. You know, right now, she, who's she chasing? She's chasing Margaret Court, Right. How many Grand Slam singles titles does she have? She has 24. But very few people talk about the fact that not as many people play the Australian Open back in the day. You know, maybe picking up those titles were a little bit easier than the competition level that Serena had to put. Whatever. But no one's, it's just about those numbers. Mm-hmm. So if this U.S. Open happens, I, you got to put Serena at, you know, kind of front of the list because she's, she doesn't have to travel very far. I've seen the pictures. She seems to be keeping in really good shape, and she, she's, she's going to be mentally fresh. So, you know, she's able to sneak it out, you know, even during the midst of all this. I think, one, she'll give a lot of people in this country who desperately need it inspiration. But you'll hit that magic number 24. It'll be pretty cool. It'll be very cool. Yeah, it would be fascinating to see if it happens in 2020. Uh, but before I let you go, I, I'm curious, now, uh, now that you are out of the sport as a professional player, do, do you still get back on the court and, and play every so often? And what is your game like with a new physique? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it helpful? Well, I'll tell you, I've been playing a lot more tennis than I generally do because Pops is in town. So that's, okay. his, that's, his favorite, that's his favorite exercise. <laughs> so I'm the, I'm the one that's hitting with him all day long. Yeah. And his tennis has improved a lot during this, uh, during this break. We've been hitting a lot. The only problem is right now I'm doing a little something called a bulk, right? Yes. You bulk and then you cut. You put on a bunch of muscle, but right. you're going to put on a little fat and you, and you cut the fat. So yep. Ben, I'm a little heavier <laughs> than I normally like to walk around. Okay. So... My, my cardio is struggling a little bit on the tennis court, but the power is good. That's the good news. All right, all right. Huge, huge power, but the agility is not quite there is what you're saying. It's struggling, but once I cut the weight, I think we'll be good to go. Okay. Who, uh, who wins in a match between you and your dad? Um, or do you play matches? <laughs> it's, 
if you if you add up the golf games and the tennis <laughs> right now it's it's very tight it's okay. very tight Okay. All right. All right. I would love to see that sometimes. Uh, Prakash, I'm, I'm thrilled that we finally made this happen and uh, got you on our Matchpoint Canada podcast. And uh, if we see you in Toronto or Montreal 2021, 2022, I'd love to catch up with you then. Ben, I would love it, my man. And yo, before I go, I'm going to drop something for all your listeners out there too, especially during this time. It might be you know, exciting to get a little engaged, get a little physical competitiveness going on. Um, I'm going to start something shortly, so keep your eye on GQ India, obviously follow me, and on Tennis Channel. When I start this cut, we're going to do a little transformation challenge. So anyone else wants to jump in there, because I know a lot of people would have put on a little bit of LBs during this quarantine period too. So maybe if we could all get together, kind of get each other excited to drop some of this, get into our best shape, Um, I'm going to have a little something for the winner it'll be oh. it'll be exciting oh this this i love and i, I want to tell our listeners I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because i started this is a small challenge that i started yesterday very straightforward though and you know i i do some circuit circuit workouts and i'm on the tennis court a lot but very simple challenge is one month straight you got to hit 100 squats every day very simple 30 consecutive days 100 squats my guy does not forget leg day. Man, I like it. I <laughs> like you. it. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Now, now that I've aired this out, I, I can't cheat and have to commit. So <laughs> it's on the podcast. It's going to happen. Prakash, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yo, my pleasure, my guy. I hope to see you in person soon. There you have it, uh, my interview with Prakash Amritaj, who uh, part of Hollywood is an actor, producer. You find him on Tennis Channel as well, frequently doing interviews. He also writes a column for GQ India. And uh, one very fascinating thing he did touch on in this interview as we spoke, as I kind of asked him, why the fitness transformation? And he was actually interested in, in taking down some, some stereotypes that have existed in, in Hollywood films about Indian people, um, maybe viewed as the typical sort of nerd or quiet and reserved, and not really the physical specimens of the action Hollywood movies and Hollywood stars. So uh, he was someone who was inspired by the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and Bruce Willis's and the kind of those, those types of characters coming up and never really saw an Indian face playing that role. So I found that very, very interesting uh, to hear. And uh, he revealed that he still plays tennis with his father, which is great. Uh, wasn't so clear on who wins the matches. Seemed like <laughs> a pretty even split. Uh, but yeah, I really, I very much enjoyed our conversation. It's hard not to listen to him and for me, watch him on the treadmill and get a bit inspired uh, about your own fitness and maybe certain goals you might have. Yeah, it's done the opposite for me, but good for you. That's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate but, that. Uh, I wonder how, how difficult it must be to play tennis, though, with that kind of physique now, because you clearly don't see tennis players that are carrying around that level of, of muscle on the court, right? Yeah, so we did touch on that. And for those who know a bit more about fitness training, there are a couple things that people do, which one referred is referred to as bulking, where you're intaking a lot of calories, 
your input of calories is higher than your output. So you're adding, adding mass and then there's cutting where you're trimming, trimming the fat. And currently he says he is in a bulk, which would not allow him to be his most agile on the tennis court. Uh, but if you were in that cutting process, he would probably uh, move stronger on the tennis court, but almost quite interesting that he was talking about his pro career and said, in a sense, you're, you're so committed just to the tennis and, and the long hours and the travel and back and forth that he didn't actually have you know the time and dedication then to go so committed to the fitness aspect and uh these days i've read players have actually sought out his advice on diet and nutrition which is just fascinating and you know he's in his 30s and doesn't play anymore um i i don't know if this size of body would perfectly lend itself to him and his game but um he talked about now like this is, I think, the peak of fitness we are seeing in tennis, ATP and WTA, because everybody is committed and in the gym when they're not on the court. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And in terms of his career, maybe kind of limiting him from the other things that he was interested in that he wanted to get into. And so often tennis players are criticized if they aren't 100% committed to the sport. I mean, look at Nick Kyrgios or look at... Uh, Serena and Venus at times and, and Jeannie Bouchard being criticized for all the extracurricular things that they've added to their repertoire. Um, but I think, you know, it's great to see someone who's got more uh, diverse interests and someone who clearly when their playing days are done still has so many things to keep them busy with and so many hobbies and other career ventures that are going to keep them busy for the, for the rest of their lives, which is really the bulk of your life when you think about it, that uh, it, it's so challenging for professionals in any sport to spend that much time dedicated day in and day out to their their craft. I mean, imagine for anyone listening right now, whatever your day job is, imagine if you just did that from the time you woke up to the time you went to bed, basically, uh, you know, 11 out of 12 months, almost 12 months really of, of the year. So I think it, you know, when you think about it through that lens, it gives you maybe a, a newfound appreciation. And, and it's certainly great to see Prakash thriving in retirement in his life after tennis. Yeah, and I uh, should should mention like he he still has such a terrific relationship with the sport and uh, spoke really glowingly about his father because his father was not someone who pushed him into tennis in the wrong way. It was always, I think, positive reinforcement. And Prakash, when he was younger, did love being on the court. Uh, it wasn't really like, it wasn't your Andre Agassi type of scenario where he's he's being forced against his will to keep hitting tennis shots over and over again. He truly had a, a love and passion for the game. And uh, that's why he still does work in the sport as well, a along with um, pursuing these other interests. So great to catch up with Prakash Armitage. And you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is a good spot to follow him if you want to be envious of his enormous muscles as well. Um, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. And uh, just to catch up on some news, I mean, we were given ATP and WTA calendars, feels like about a month ago, of, of when things would resume. And the one tournament that actually had stood out in a sense for me was that was part of the hardcourt swing for the men's side was the city open in Washington because ahead of your U S open, they had moved the Western and Southern open to the same site in Flushing Meadows. Uh, but there was also the ATP 500 
in Washington uh, that they wanted to get played as another tune-up a couple events before they play a Grand Slam. And now we're hearing a lot of reports that this event might be in doubt and uh, there are fears of its cancellation. I, I'm not sure if that will happen, but just to me, Mike, it seems problematic if you say had a lot of players traveling overseas from Europe, South America, just into Washington, then make them uh, travel additionally over to New York from there. Yeah, definitely a concern uh, that I would have, and I think most tennis fans and, and people watching from the outside would have as well. So the logistics are just so difficult because things are ever evolving. And uh, so if it is indeed being canceled, it, I shouldn't say it's a it's a huge surprise, but uh, it'll be unfortunate for fans there in, in Maryland, uh, you know, who won't get to go to that event, who are probably getting excited, hoping that just maybe it would work out. And uh, Personally, that event at Rock Creek Park there is uh, the first tennis uh, tournament I ever covered as a member of the media back in wow. 2008. So uh, I'll always have fond memories of, uh, of going there when it was just a, a 250-level tournament, but still had some big names like uh, James Blake, Andy Roddick, and, and when I went in 2008, an emerging Juan Martin Del Potro, who ended up winning it that year. Um, and, and, you know, just fingers crossed that, uh, that things do progress beyond that one that we do end up getting uh, tennis in, in New York, and uh, I'm, I'm super stoked to see it. But again, there's still more pressing concerns, as we've been saying for four months, that, uh, that need to come first and foremost uh, here. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And uh, we were supposed to have the Canadians in that draw, Milos Raonic, Dennis Shapovalov, Felix Ojeh-Aliassime, all did sign up to play. But uh, if, if it is cancelled, of course, that cannot happen. So we will wait and see. Uh, over to some women's tennis, not just women's tennis, but uh, world team tennis and Canadian Jeannie Bouchard. Uh, she can't play an ITF schedule right now and can't play ITF events, but for me, this is, you know, the best rep she can really get while we don't have an active tour that she's playing these competitive exhibitions with great players who are in like the top 50, top 25, top 10 even. And uh, she's been performing at a high level. Uh, she stepped in, actually subbed in for Sloane Stevens mid-match in a game, um, which is, of course, something you can't see in an actual tennis game, uh, playing against Danielle Collins well behind came from behind and won so uh, obviously we're seeing a pretty confident Jeannie Bouchard like beating and, and winning points against quality players yeah Jeannie's been a big reason why the Chicago smash have been doing so well and uh, I, I didn't watch the matches but everything that I've heard in some of the, the short clips that I've watched she's looking really sharp like she's got something to prove which let's be honest she does so this is good that she's uh, on a tear here in, in world team tennis and uh I thought it was interesting. Um, first of all, it's really cool how you can sub a player, and I really like that aspect of it. It really does make it like a team game, and it's a, a neat sort of approach for tennis to take. And uh, second of all, the coach of the Chicago Smash was Kamau Murray, who we know is Sloan Stevens' coach. So kind of bold for him to pull out his own player that he coaches in you know, real life, so to speak, Sloan Stevens, who was behind 3-1 and throw Jeannie into the mix. And uh, so that was a bold move. And Jeannie mentioned that it was tough going in because you're coming in cold off the bench, you know, kind of like in hockey being thrown out in double overtime after maybe not playing for a couple of periods. And right. she lost the first game, I think, four straight points. So it was down 4-1 and then turned it around and came back to, uh, to beat Collins, who ended up smashing her racket at the end out of frustration. Yes. So uh, I don't mind seeing people get frustrated if it's at the uh, – you know, the hands of our Canadian players. And uh, Jeannie's also been looking really sharp in doubles, playing with one of the best doubles players 
I think you could say really of all time, almost in uh, Bethany Maddox-Sands, who's been her partner, and they've won four consecutive doubles matches in a row. So things are going well for Jeannie, and we hope that she can carry that forward whenever she's uh, able to compete uh, at the ITF level uh, beyond this. Yeah, yeah, I would certainly hope so. And that Chicago team is second place out of nine in uh, the World Team Tennis uh, category. So that that's terrific. Gabby Dabrowski has also been playing as well uh, in doubles consistently. We have to talk a little bit about Kim Kleisters because, you know, we touched on her potential return to tennis last year, uh, kind of awaiting it. Of course, COVID-19 also threw a wrench in those plans, but she has been beating everyone and <laughs> not just uh, lower level players. She's competing at this event and getting wins over Australian Open champion Sophia Kennan. She's beating U.S. Open champion Sloane Stevens. This is an unbelievable stretch, which goes to show you just how incredible a ball striker Kim Kleisters is and uh, how terrific a champion she is that she can still perform at such a high level late into her 30s. I believe she's 37 now and, and very much look like not only she belongs like she's one of the best players there well talk about somebody who must be just chomping at the bit to get back on the tennis court uh not only the years and years that she's been away from competition but it was uh, almost a year ago i feel like now that she announced she was going to come back and i remember waking up and seeing those tweets and being like what is it like april fools today like this can't be real <laughs> this is amazing but it just can't be real and so it's been so long even since she announced it and then not really getting to um, I mean, she wasn't able to start 2021 or 2020. Uh, I don't think she was quite ready. So um, she's looking to get back out there and prove that uh, this was a great you know, decision on her part. And just by the early returns and, and how she looks out there, I mean, she's just striking that ball with so much power and authority and confidence from what I'm seeing. And it's incredible the list of names that she's defeated uh, already. I think she's 4-0 and in her singles matches at the time that we're recording this for World Team Tennis. But uh, it's not like she's just beating, you know, players outside the top 100 or 200. These are legitimate players that she's beating and uh, small sample size, but it certainly lends to um, some encouraging vibes if you're a fan of uh, Kim Kleisters. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, very unbelievable, really. And she's not the only one, actually, one of these veteran players who uh, either coming out of retirement or actually still in retirement is chalking up wins. Uh, Tommy Haas has been kind of making the rounds as well on Twitter at age 42. He's uh, put up a couple impressive wins in exhibition play, defeated Jan Leonard Struff, who is a great top 40 player. Um, playing really closely against uh, fellow ones and we see him dominate like the seniors exhibition series. So it's, it's not that surprising, but uh, I think it just goes to show you if, if you have a, a natural knack for really striking the ball very, very well, if you can keep that fitness level at least high enough, uh, you can have a lot of longevity in this sport. Absolutely. Um, before we uh, wrap up today, we do have one more special guest uh, to join us, and he is the co-host of the new Sur La Ling podcast, uh, which is uh, based in Montreal and supported by Coop Rogers, and that is uh, Alexandre Regimbald, who along with uh, his uh, co-host, uh, uh, Nicolas um, uh, Richard, sorry, I did a little English-French pronunciation there. <laughs> That's but, okay. Uh, the two of them are starting up a, a tennis podcast for Francophone tennis fans, Canadian uh, fans as well. And so uh, very excited to uh, introduce him now and uh, learn a little bit more about what uh, they've been doing together. Very excited right now to uh, announce uh, the partnership that uh, Tennis Canada has uh, 
with a new podcast on the scene, a new French-speaking podcast. They're called Sur la Ligne, which for those of you in English means on the line, and they are the official podcast of the Coupe Rogers, based in Montreal. Uh, their co-hosts are Alexandre Rajibal and Nicolas Richard, and we are very lucky to be joined by Alexandre today. So uh, thank you for taking the time to join us, and we're excited to hear about your new podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys, um, and uh, thanks for the support. Thanks for the retweet and the promos and everything. You, you guys have been great for us right now. No problem. I mean, we know you'll get us back down the road, so uh, don't even worry about it. And uh, we're happy to have you join us and happy that French-Canadian uh, and French-speaking tennis fans have a, a podcast that they can turn to. Uh, why don't you start, Alex, by telling us uh, just the excitement over launching your podcast and, and what led to things starting up for you and, and Nick? Actually, I had um, the idea a couple months ago, maybe uh, maybe a year ago. I wanted to do it, but you know, it is sometimes you uh, you want to start a project, but things don't fall apart. Uh, uh, like everything was not at the good time, but uh, now with the confinement and everything, like I had a little more time, and I asked my partner Nicola, "Would you want to do it?" And he said, uh, "He said yes." And I I, uh, I asked Val at Tennis Canada, "Would you?" still be open to to do it and she said yes uh, uh give us a, de a demo and uh we'll see how it goes so that's what we did we did a demo and uh they, they liked it and uh here we are we have like uh, three episodes uh, so far that's uh that's terrific now i i can only speak from my experience alex of uh just going to the coop rogers uh, event in montreal um, and witnessing the atmosphere firsthand for and the love of tennis that uh, is clearly there in Quebec, at least in Montreal. What what is really the the francophone interest overall? Do you think in the province for tennis and uh, yeah, how how big is the sport really? I think I think it's really big. I mean, I don't have like the the actual numbers, but I think uh, on TV it's the third most watch sports behind hockey and NFL football. So, so, so it's pretty great. And not, a, not only the, the Rogers cup, like the Rogers cup is a big international event, but if you go in the smaller event, like you go in the challengers and everything, you see the, the, the crowd are packed and, and you don't see that as much around the world when you, you watch the stream of the challengers. I mean, you go in Granby or you go in Drummondville. I mean, it, it's packed, it's full. So, so there's, I think there's a big interest for not only the, the superstars of the game, but the sports in general. So uh, I, I think it kind of explained the, the success of the the rogers cup at the end as a, as a proud montrealer i have to say that there are no sports fans in canada that are as uh, enthusiastic about live sports as uh, what we have there and certainly i saw that growing up at jerry park as a kid and it was just an electric atmosphere in montreal um tell us a bit alex about what kind of podcast sur la ligne is is going to be what kind of style will you and nick uh, what kind of approach will you take to it so, so it's a pretty casual podcast. I mean, we're we're two uh, big tennis fans. We don't pretend to be experts. Like we play experts sometimes, but it's really more a fan base approach. Uh, uh, we like uh, we like to chat, um, debate, and uh, we talk about uh, what happened uh, in the news. Uh, we 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 try to debate around uh, things like uh, this uh, this upcoming week. We we have we were inspired by. You you guys because we said who was like the real actually 
the fourth guy of the big four? Was it really Andy Murray? Was it uh, someone else? So you had that debate where you had like, who's the best in history between uh, uh, without a Grand Slam title? So, so we kind of got inspired by you guys. So yeah, we debate, we, we chat, we, we talk about news. We have uh, also... Uh, 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 some guests we had Alexandra Wozniak last week, Eugene Lapierre, the 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 Rogers Cup director. So I think we're gonna have pretty much all the Canadian. Uh, uh, I've been following tennis all those years. I, I know pretty much all of them uh, personally, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a fan base approach, really casual. We're pretty much chatting, uh, two fans chatting together. I guess it's pretty much like you guys. I was gonna <laughs> say that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I'm pleased to hear that we inspired you in some way. That's uh, that's great. Very kind words. Thank you for that. Um, you, you mentioned uh, you, you followed tennis for a long time. Is is it a sport that you played growing up? And have you always had that keen interest? Or was it more just about watching it, I guess? So I'll say it like this. Um, way more a better fan than actual player. <laughs> I mean, I... Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually uh, practicing right now my serve like uh, the, the one like Nick Kyrgios like uh, the, the like the, the underhand the underhand mm -hmm. serve because my my upper hand is not <laughs> is not really good so I'm not no I'm not re I'm not a really good uh, tennis player I'm uh, I'm really a big fan of the game but uh, not an actual uh, I play I play uh, I'd say 10 times in the summer but uh, didn't play high level or anything really just a big fan You sound like me. That's pretty much me. I've I've not yet resorted to underhand serving, but I'm getting pretty close the way things are going lately. Um, <laughs> I can only aspire to be like Ben one day because he does have much more of a a history playing the game. How about how about Nick, uh, your uh, your co-host? Does he play? Yeah, he actually played uh, uh, quite high level. I mean, provincial level. He played uh, uh, Quebec's games and everything. So yeah, he he's way better. He play he plays a lot and he he likes the game. He's uh, uh, I couldn't play with him because he wouldn't have fun with me. So he, and that's how I feel good. about Ben. That's amazing. We should have a doubles match sometime. It'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah, but it would be important that you and me don't play together because because. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Absolutely. We'll stay on opposite sides of the net. Yeah. Um, so with you guys being the official podcast of Coop Rogers, um, what are you going to miss most personally this year uh, with the event in Montreal clearly being postponed until 2021 now? You know, I was thinking about that uh, lately. And uh, as a journalist, I love to cover event. But what one thing I love the most is just taking a break in the stands with a coffee and watch just a couple sets of tennis just because I love the game, you know? So I think that's what I all miss the most. I love the event. I love covering the event, but just relaxing in the stands in the Jerry Park. I mean, when you have uh, the sun going down at night and just a little coffee, a little wine, and you have Nadal on, on the court, I mean, What do you want more? It's, 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 it's what I'm going to miss the most. And the Rogers Cup, I, I never went to Toronto, but in Montreal, it's such an amazing event, such a, such a trailing event. And, uh, and not only the tennis, but everything's around it. So, so I'm going to miss it, and I'm going to miss just sitting in the stands with a little coffee and enjoying the sports that I love. 
This uh, certainly feels, I think, right now like a, a peak of, of French-Canadian tennis when you look at some of the superstars that we have. Obviously, Felix Auger-Aliassime and his rapid ascent. Uh, Leila Annie Fernandez, who looked like she was charging towards the top 100 in the WTA before before we stopped. Um, just, yeah, I guess, how optimistic are you in, in terms of French-Canadian tennis going forward these next several years? I mean... Yes, French, uh, French Canadian tennis, but I think it's Canada's in general. I mean, you have Dennis, uh, and we don't have to forget for uh, um, uh, Milos Raonic. She's still there. Like sometimes we kind of forget that he's still there, but he's still one of the best players in the world. But uh, of course, the upcoming with Felix and uh, and Leila, it's going to be really exciting. And uh, I've done interviews and I've done features with uh, two of them. Uh, both of them and they are also just some amazing person and there are going to be not only great tennis player but amazing ambassador for the sports uh, not only in Canada but I think in general so um, I mean Felix is it's, I'll tell you something last year I think we haven't seen each other for couple of years because now he's playing pro and everything but we kind of cross our path uh, just just in front of the conference room and he, he recognized me and stopped and he told me, hey, Alex, what's up? What's going on? And so he took the time just to chat with me. And it was, it, it tells a lot about the person that he is. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. I think there are, there are, I mean, Felix and Leila, maybe they will be number one, maybe in the world. So maybe one day, but they are also amazing person. So yeah, it's really, really exciting right now. I love the enthusiasm as I'm listening to you speak about it all, uh, Alex, and clearly you. And, uh, and your co-host, Nick, are the right people for the job. And you both have extensive uh, history working in, in the media, as you've mentioned. Um, can you share with our listeners, uh, who hopefully will also tune into yours at some point, what can they expect in the future? Do you have any guests that you're looking to grab or, uh, or topics that you're looking to cover in the next few weeks? Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, next week, where like uh, like I was uh, talking about, we still have debates. Uh, next week, we're gonna have who's gonna be the best uh, female player in the next ten years. So that's a debate we're gonna have. We have a couple names on on the table, and Layla maybe is gonna be one of them. Who knows? Uh, but uh, it's exciting on the women's tennis side right now because there's a lot of upcoming, and there's there's maybe the, the generation of uh, Serena Williams. Well, they they won't be they won't be there for. Uh, forever so it, there's a lot of uh, upcoming young talent when you see Bianca when you see Leila when you see uh, Sofia Kenin that uh, won the Australian Open she's still very young so uh, there's a lot of uh, young upcoming players so that's a subject that we're gonna have uh, uh, next week and as for the guests well I won't make promises that uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I can keep because because uh, uh, we try to reach out but we for 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 some players but uh uh like nothing is sure so uh but we're gonna have them all i mean we're gonna have the felix we're gonna have the gd bouchard that you had uh a couple of weeks ago so but uh, just nothing is sure yet so i just don't want to go there right now yeah that's smart we, we never we never try and announce our guests eh, Ben, until we know that we've got them for sure no i know yeah. but uh just as i was hearing you Speak about that. I already love the topic. Like you're, you're talking about who's going to be the best for the next 10 years in the WTA. And I feel like I already want to chime in with a few names and say, oh, is it going to be Canon, Osaka, Bianca? So that's a, that's a great topic. To yeah, those, to those are down. all that. Those are all the names that uh, the that we drop, and I don't know if you saw these guys, but uh, there's a 13-year-old uh, Czech 
who beats Sinyakova, uh, um, uh, the f- uh, 54th players in the world. So 13 years old, it beat a 50, uh, a rank 54. That's pretty amazing. So, and that's a girl who won the, the Petsizas, one of the greatest tournament at the junior level. So, I mean, uh, yeah. So maybe she's going to be the one that no one's talking about. You still have Coco Goff. Uh, yep, yep. Maybe she, she, she's 16 years old. She had crazy run in Grand Slam. So, yeah, it's a pretty interesting topic. Who do you I think it, it could old. be for you guys? I already feel old when we have <laughs> players like Bianca and Sophia Kennan winning majors. I'm not ready for a 13-year-old quite yet. Okay, that would just make <laughs> me feel like a like a grandpa or something. But uh, So for our listeners, again, it's uh, Sur La Ling, uh, which is the official Coop Rogers podcast. And you can find that podcast, I guess, uh, where, Alex? Anywhere people like to go for their uh, their podcast? So yeah, it's going to be everywhere. So far, it's not on uh, on all the platforms because it's just the beginning, and we're still figuring it out uh, how to to uh, to uh, broadcast everywhere. But we are on SoundCloud SoundCloud right now, and we have also uh, a video uh, a version on YouTube of uh, on the. Tennis Canada's YouTube, and uh, you can also find the audio and the video version on uh, the Rogers Cup site. So that's, but we're going to be on Spotify, Apple, and everything uh, uh, sooner than later. Sounds good. Well, again, that's Alexandre Regimbal, the co-host of Sur Letting Podcast. We will be promoting you heavily as well on our social media and happy to have you along. So thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing what you guys uh, have to offer in the next few weeks and months. Yeah, we'll do the same for you. And uh, I expect you to come and uh, practice your French on my podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, bientôt. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. There you have it, guest Alexandra Regimbald, uh, the co-host of the Sur la Ligne official podcast of the Coupe Rogers. So uh, you can check that out. I'm glad that we got his insight of uh, what the new Francophone podcast is all about uh, and just uh, another platform for tennis fans in Canada to, to seek out and get a lot of information. Hopefully you're getting a lot of information from us on Matchpoint Canada. And uh, thanks again to Prakash Amritaj, uh, who joined me uh, this week for a great interview. And thank you to all of our listeners who continue to check in with us week after week. Remember, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We'll talk to you next time.